Let's all stand together, please. Take your hymnal. Let's go to page number 341. 341 in your hymnal. Oh, victory in Jesus. The only real victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good to see you this evening. I heard about old stories, how the Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood done honing. Then I repented of my sin in one
together, please. Shake hands with those around you. Let them know you're glad to see them here in the Lord's house. so good to see each of you this evening. Good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, don't forget your Bible reading schedule. It's on the back table. Um, also back on the side table here. Uh, that's going to, the, the first 40 days, it's going to be quite a bit of reading, uh, but you'll, you'll cover the entire New Testament in the first 40 days, that'll give you a good start to read the entire Bible for the year. If you'll stay up with that, you'll, you'll read a lot more than what you think. They cover a lot more ground. Senior trip coming up, we have a sign-up sheet there in the back. We're going to be taking our seniors to the uh, Navy SEAL Museum. These are, these are likely the toughest, most well-trained uh, fighters, not just in America, in the world. And uh, we're happy to go uh, see where um, a lot of the re records and stuff, we can read about a lot of those things and some of the uh, missions and things. Um, then after that, we're going to be going over to um, Krabby's. Um, and, and it's not, not the service that's Krabby. It's the food, Amen. <laughs> Uh, but it's going to be a good time of fellowship, uh, so please sign up for that. That'd be a help. And then also teen camp registrations. Uh, we need to get those in as quickly as possible. Um, uh, we're, we're not concerned about the, the money of, with that right yet. We just need to get those turned in as quickly as we can uh, so that we can get that discount that we're, that we, we're after. Amen. Um, we take 40 people times 15, that adds up in a quick hurry, so we want to hold on to as much of those savings as we can. Um, and then month of missions right around the corner. Let's be praying that God will uh, do with us um, and to us uh, greater things than ever before and that we'll see more people saved than ever before through the efforts of our church here. And a preacher is going to announce a few that got saved this morning. So thrilled about people getting saved here on the property. What a blessing. Good to see you. Please take your hymn book out and turn it to hymn number seven. Hymn number seven, please stand and join me. Sing all three verses of Fill My Cup, Lord. 
forget it at the end of the service, so I'll go ahead and uh, mention today in our junior church, we had two saved, and then in um, Brother Daniel's class, they had two saved, so four saved here this morning in the morning services, and uh, our prison ministry, jail ministry, we, we're going to try to do something different to get report from everybody because um, we don't always get it here on Sunday night. So, uh, Brother Thomas, I'm going to leave you in charge of that, finding out from all of these guys. And then he got saved, and then you let us know, all right? Had four. Four in junior church, okay. One saved last Tuesday in jail. Very good. All right, uh, let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering tonight and on those that are sick. Pray that the Lord's healing hand will be on them. For the Carnes, would you lead us in prayer?
for the plan of salvation just to say Lord I love you for you understand I want to be there on that great judgment morning to touch all the nail prints in his hand and his feet one morning at daybreak a crowd slowly gathered they were walking my lord oh cavalry's hill so sad was the scene there the birds hushed their singing like a lamb, he was humble to his father's own will. I want to thank Jesus for the plan of salvation. Just to say, Lord, I love you, for you understand. I want to be there on that great judgment morning to touch all the nail prints in his feet and his hands. I want to thank Jesus for the plan of salvation to say, Lord, I love you for you understand I want to be there on that great judgment morning to touch all the nail prints in his hand and his feet to touch all the nail prints in his hand and his feet Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Well, we're still um, thinking about the new year, even though this is the second Sunday, we're still, um, or I am anyway, I'm thinking about it, and and I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, all things new. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. In Christ, we become new. Someone has said that nature forms us, sin deforms us, schools inform us, used to anyway, prisons reform us, 
but only Christ transforms us. A Christian is not just somebody who's become nice. He becomes new. He doesn't just turn over a new leaf. He receives a new life. Now, a Christian is not like a tadpole that has become a frog, gone through a series of changes, but basically still the same creature. No, a Christian is more like a frog that's received the kiss of grace and become a prince. That's what we are. We're changed radically and dramatically. I heard about a lady, she's coming out of a beauty shop, and a lady was coming in the door, and, and she thought she recognized us. She said, oh, Mary Jones, what a joy to see you. It's been years since I've seen you. Mary, you look so different. You've slimmed down. You've lost weight. You fix your hair different. Even your face, you know, the makeup and everything uh, looks different. You, you even look taller than you used to, used to look. And the lady said, well, I'm not Mary Jones. She said, oh, you even changed your name. <laughs> the apostle Paul got saved, so he changed his name. His early name was Saul, and now he becomes Paul, the greatest missionary, the greatest preacher, the greatest evangelist, I believe, the world's ever known. And he was changed by the grace of God. And what God did for him, God wants to do for you and me if he hasn't already done it. And I want to tell you how God can give you a brand new life. Now, again, before I read the scripture, let me give you the background. Saul was a brilliant, well-trained young Pharisee. Because of the statement he made that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, uh, Bible scholars believe that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. That was the, that was the 70 men that uh, made up this uh, religious body, this uh, body of men who, who were to teach the law to, to the Jews. And um, so he, he, um, he had deep, passionate emotions. You, you find that you see that in his, after he became a Christian and, and the way they did the work they did. Uh, he had rigid standards. He had his philosophy of life. It all worked out. He had a bitter hatred against Christ and the church. He was persecuting the church. He had official sanction to do it. He had letters from the high priest to arrest Christians and, and to put them in bondage. Many of them were put in prison, and, and some of them were being killed for their faith. And the Apostle Paul was persecuting and making havoc of the church. And he was on, on his way on the road to Damascus. It was high noon, and suddenly there was a blazing light at high noon. The Apostle Paul said it was brighter than the noonday sun. It was so bright, it blinded him. And he fell, he fell down to the ground. The Lord Jesus spoke to him, and he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for, for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul said, who art, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Paul said, what would you have me to do, Lord? 
And he said, you, the Lord said, you go to a place in the city of Damascus to a certain house on a street called Straight, and I'll send somebody there to tell you what you, you should do. And Saul goes off to this place, and he waits. And the Bible tells there that the, the Lord finds a man named Ananias, and the Lord comes to this disciple, and he said, Ananias, I have a job for you to do. I want you to go to the house of, of Judas. I want you to find a man named Saul, and I have a message I want you to deliver to him. Well, Ananias had heard about Saul. Uh, he knew that he was having Christians put to death. And being a Christian himself, I can imagine he was a little bit hesitant. I would imagine he said, uh, probably said to the Lord, well, well Lord, uh, is this the one that's persecuting Christians? Is this one that's having Christians put to death? And the Lord Jesus said, that's the same man. Well, who's going to go with me? And the Lord said, no one. You're going by yourself. And that's the background for the passage of Scripture here that I'm going to read to you in a moment. And in this passage of Scripture, you're going to find five marks of a man made new. So look with me here in chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway, that means immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither uh, for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. And I, I want to uh, skip on down here. Barnabas took, verse 27, Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way, that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Now you've got to understand that, that these, the people who were in the church there, the Christians, they, they knew about Saul. They knew about him. They knew that he was persecuting Christians. They knew that he was having some put in prison, having some even killed. He was standing there when, when Stephen was stoned. And, uh, and because of the fact that he, he was given the garments, he held the garments, uh, it is believed then that he was actually in charge of, of this thing that was going on there uh, when he was killed. He certainly was approving of it. 
And, and so he's got a lot to overcome here when he comes to these Christians. They're, they're, you know, there's a lot of things that you know, they don't quite understand about his sudden change. Why he's, one, one day he's killing them, the next day he's loving them. And so, so I can imagine, and, and I'm sure you can imagine, that, that uh, it was with, with a lot of hesitation that they were willing to accept him. So Barnabas, uh, he took Paul and brought, brought him and you know, kind of explained uh, how things are, what's going on. And and the and the Bible uh, then tells us here that that uh, after Ananias went to Saul that you know and and uh, told him you know he would receive the Holy Ghost and then then Saul was baptized and all and the Bible says here that that uh, the the Jews here they began then to right away they wanted to kill him and uh, and the Bible says that Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews that dwelled at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. So with that background, now let's, let's, I want you to look here at five marks of a man made new. And number one, mark number one, Saul had a new Lord. The word Lord means master. Had a new master. In verse 17 again, and Ananias went his way and entering into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee, in the way that thou camest has sent me, the Lord, even Jesus. Remember when Saul first met the Lord Jesus? He asked those two great questions that, that uh, anybody in this world could ever ask. First of all, who art thou, Lord? Remember when Saul first met him? He asked the two greatest questions that anybody in this world could ever ask. And the second question was, Lord, what would you have me to do? Somebody said the Apostle Paul spent the rest of his life uh, finding the answer to those two questions. Who art thou, Lord? And Lord, what would you have me to do? Everyone should ask and have those questions answered. Who is Jesus? And then what does Jesus want us to do? Now, the Apostle Paul, or, or Saul here, he didn't ask, Lord, what do you want others to do? And he didn't say, Lord, what do others want me to do? But, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, the fact of the matter is that, that Jesus had become his master, had become his Lord. Someone wrote, wrote these words, uh, You call me master, but obey me not. You call me light but see me not. You call me the way, but walk me not. You call me life, but desire me not. You call me wise, but follow me not. You call me fair, but love me not. You call me rich, but ask me not. You call me gracious, but trust me not. You call me noble, but serve me not. You call me mighty, but honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. So if I condemn you, blame me not. Let me ask you this question. Is he your Lord tonight? Is he, is he the master of your life? Does he, is he the master of all your thoughts and actions? Is he in all things, is he 
Is he your Lord? Is he your master? The apostle Paul said on, on that Damascus road, what would you have me to do? That means he's under new management. He recognized he's under new management. One of the marks of a man made new, he has a new Lord, a new master. The second, the second mark, he had a new light. Look again there in verse 17. Ananias went his way, entered the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight. And notice again, verse 18, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. He was able to see. You see, the Lord is my light and my salvation, the psalmist says. My light and my salvation. When you receive the Lord, you receive with the Lord a new light. You're able to see things you've never seen before. Uh, you've heard me tell this before, back um, uh, back before I got saved, I was already a church member, and I thought I was a Christian, and I was, I was even uh, serious enough that I would, I would take New Testament with me in my, in my lunch, and uh, during lunch period, I'd, I'd read the New Testament, but I couldn't understand it. You know, I mean, you, you could, I, there were some things, you know, I could understand the words, but I uh, because I was not saved, I didn't have the light, I didn't have the illumination of my mind that I was able to understand spiritual things. And the Bible teaches that, that unless you have the Holy Spirit to illuminate your mind, you cannot understand spiritual things. So that's why the world hates us. They don't understand us. They don't understand us. They uh, they don't know what we get out of coming here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, gathering together like this. Why, you know, what do y'all get out of that? They don't understand it. They're blind. The devil has blinded their eyes that they cannot see. And whenever, when you get saved, you have a new light. Now, this, this with Paul here, this was uh, also in the physical realm. He was literally blinded, he was, and he was literally healed, supernaturally healed of the blindness. But the Lord puts this here to give us an illustration and an emphasis to the greater fact that Jesus is the light of the world. And except a man be born again, he cannot see. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Except a man be born again, he cannot see. Don't scold a blind man for not seeing. You'll never argue anybody into being a Christian. There needs to be a miracle. When a person comes to our Lord and surrenders, God just brings the scales from his eyes, and he sees things he never saw before. He understands things that he could not possibly understand apart from the Lord. Saul, Saul was a brilliant man. He had the highest education that a person could have in that day. He was, he was well-versed in the law. He had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, which would be kind of like saying, you know, I have a, a PhD from Harvard or something, you know, something like that. It was, he, he was, Gamaliel was the top guy in far, as far as the uh, teaching the, and, uh, and imparting uh, what the Bible taught about the law, the Old Testament. 
So Saul, he would have what would be equivalent to a PhD in Bible. Paul spoke at least four, maybe five languages. He was a well-educated man. He had saturated himself in the scriptures, in the Old Testament law, but he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. And then when the scales fell from his eyes, he saw in the Bible things he'd never seen before. When he went into Arabia, he put the Old Testament into his knapsack and went into the desert. And when he came out, he came out of the desert with Ephesians, the Philippians, Colossians, and Romans in his heart. He looked into that Old Testament, and in the tabernacle, he saw Jesus. In the Levitical offerings, Levitical offerings, he saw Jesus. In the ceremonies, he saw Jesus. In the law, he saw Jesus. In the prophets, he saw Jesus. The whole Bible now was full of Jesus. But he'd never seen it before. He was well-versed in the law, but he didn't, he didn't know the Lord, and so he didn't see Jesus in, in the law. The Lord had, taken, had just taken the scales from his eyes. When you, when you get saved, you get a new Lord, a new master, and you get a new light, and the Bible will burst a flame in your hands, and you'll be able to see with the light of the Lord Jesus those things which you've never seen before. You know, I, when, uh, when I got saved, uh, Janice bought me a Bible. It was uh, the old Schofield, old Schofield reference Bible. And, and I, just, I just fell in love with that, with that Bible. In three months from the day I got saved, I had read through the entire Bible. In three months. I, I just couldn't get enough of it. You know, I'm still that way. I can't get enough of it. I get to reading the Bible, and, you know, my feet start burning. And I got to get up and start walking. And sometimes I'll be walking around the office with the Bible in my hands. And, and uh, boy, I get, I get as excited as some of you do whenever I start preaching against television, you know, you, uh, or, you know, something like that. Um, now, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a real expressive person outwardly. Um, you know, uh, some people think I don't have any feelings, but I do. I feel deeply. In fact, my feelings are very deep. They don't come out. They're, they stay in. Very deep. <clears throat> uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a shouter. I don't mind if you are. You know, in fact, I'd, I'd kind of welcome a shout every now and then. <clears throat> but, uh, but, boy, you know, you know, when I get to reading the Bible, and I think, why, why is it that people don't see all the action, all the excitement here. And um, the Lord doesn't gloss over anything. I mean, you know, he tells the good and the bad about everybody in there. And, and um, you know, you, you can be reading along and if you think, you know, God's, God's a God of humor. Um, and, you know, he puts, there's a lot of humor in the Bible. I've been, uh, I've been reading because I was, I was, um, Think about preparing a message on Psalm 23. I've been reading about sheep. Have you ever read very much about sheep? You know, it's, it's not very flattering that the Bible refers to us that are saved as sheep. That's not very flattering. And shepherd. 
And I didn't know this until I, before Christmas, I was, you know, reading there about the shepherds and the angels appearing to the shepherds. And so I was reading uh, and you know, doing some research about it. And, and did you know that the shepherd, that shepherds were considered the lowest of, of, all, the, of all the people? The low, the, they, they were usually uh, uneducated, uncouth, you know, dirty, smelly, been around no sheep all day, you know. And, and sheep, you know, you see, you see pictures and you see a little lamb, you know, and it's all white and fluffy and all. Well, that's not reality. Sheep, there, there, there's a uh, chemical or something that, that is in that wool, that's in that wool, and it, and it smells, and it's sticky. And so everything that gets on them, it just sticks there. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and so these uh, shepherds, they have, to, they have to clean that off. You know, they got to they gotta get all that stuff off, and so... So in doing so, they get that on them, that smell on them. So the shepherd were, they were, you know, they were not very high-class people. And, uh, and so, you know, I was thinking, you know, here, here the Lord is, is showing us here kind of in a humorous way. You know, you may think you're really something, you know, you walk around with your thumbs in your lapel and think, boy, I'm Mr. Big. God says you're just sheep. You're just sheep, that's all. We, uh, some time ago, there was a, a young man that he'd come to our services, and, and he, uh, he was telling me, telling me about this later. But he came because he had a girl, girlfriend that was coming here, and, and so he came with her. But, uh, but, <laughs> Lo and behold, that day <clears throat> before he left, he got saved. <clears throat> but he didn't come. He didn't come with the right attitude. He came to mock. And he, he was trying to cut down. You know, it, she, would, um, she would talk about the Lord to him and try, you know, trying to get him to church and all. So he finally came. But he came. He said, he told me, he said, I came to mock and to make fun of her and her religion. And... Um, and he, he said, you know, I was, I, was, I was very nearly an atheist because he said, I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe, I didn't believe the Bible was the word of God because I didn't believe in God. And um, so he came there. He, came, he said, I came just to, you know, to mock and, and make fun. But he didn't realize that not only was he here that day, but the Holy Spirit was here also. And, uh, and he just cut through all the arguments, and it's the Lord, just as though the Lord revealed himself to this young man, and he was saved. And he came to me later, and he sat in my office, and he said, Preacher, he said, uh, it's the most amazing thing. He said, before I knew Jesus, I was so sure there's no God. And he said, now I can't remember the arguments. Can't even remember the arguments. A new light. The scales fell from his eyes. Friend, I want to tell you that the Lord will give you light and he'll give you insight and things that you can never know apart from divine illumination. I'll tell you a third thing the Apostle Paul had when he was made new. Not only did he have a new Lord and a new light, but because of those things, he had a new liberty. 
Look again in verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, put his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, uh, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way that thou camest. He sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, what does that mean? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's liberty. He received a new liberty. He received power. Here's a man that had been blinded by the law of sin and death. <clears throat> He'd been struggling. He'd been trying. See, there was, there's more, and I don't you know, intend to go into all this there, but, but you can tell by the questions he asked that this is not something just hit him just like that. This is something that he's been thinking about. <clears throat> Who art thou, Lord? <clears throat> and then what, Lord, what would you have me to do? So, <clears throat> so he was, he had been struggling. He was religious, but the more he struggled, he was like a man in quicksand, the deeper he sank. <clears throat> but he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. There's a new liberty that comes through the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, I want to emphasize that a Christian is not just somebody who endeavors to turn over a new leaf, a new leaf and be nice. <clears throat> He's someone whom God infuses, God energizes. God puts within us his power. You see, I said that the Christian life is a changed life. Let me draw the focus down a little tighter and say, not only is it a changed life, it is an exchanged life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has inhabited me. His, his divinity has inhabited my humanity, and now I'm filled with the life of God. You know, so many times uh, when witnessing the people, they'll say, well, you know, I... I'd like to be a Christian, but I just know that I don't have it in me to live the Christian life. And my friend, uh, I don't have it in me either, and you don't, and they don't, and we don't, and nobody does. The Christian life is what God does through us and in us. And without the Lord Jesus, we cannot live the Christian life. He's the one who gives us that liberty. He's not asking you to do the impossible. He just simply said, you come to me, let me be your Lord, let me be your light, and I will be your liberty. I'll give you strength, I'll give you power. You know what the Apostle Paul was at this time? He wasn't, when, when Ananias is saying, you know, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost, <clears throat> he wasn't the, the mighty apostle here. He was a newborn babe in Christ. He, was, he had just got saved. And a newborn babe 
in Christ. This mighty apostle wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, because of what God had done in him, he said, Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> you know, some, sometimes people get the idea that, well, you know, you, you've got to be saved 40 years before you can be filled with the Spirit. No, uh, Saul, he's a brand new Christian. He's a babe, a babe in Christ. And he's, he's the one who the Holy Spirit inspires to write, be filled with the Spirit. My friend, that's not a request. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Be ye filled with the Spirit. It's not complicated. We're not talking about visions and ecstasies. We're not talking about weird feelings. If you would say what Paul said and, and, and mean it, you'll be filled with the Spirit. Just, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's yielding yourself completely, totally to him. That's what being filled with the Spirit is. It's being under the control of the Holy Spirit. You have yielded yourself to him. Just saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm available to you. I can remember... On a Sunday night, one time back years ago, <clears throat> we had not been in Orlando very long, and there was a missionary. The missionary was speaking that Sunday night, and he was talking about, you know, the will of God, being in the will of God, and surrendering to the will of God. And and he, and he said, you know, uh, when, when you when you surrender yourself to God, the will of God, it is as de as definite a thing as whenever you got saved. It's an experience. Um, and, and you know, I, and I thought, I thought, you know, I, I know I'm saved. I want to, you know, I want to do what God wants me to do, and and I want to, I want to be yielded to Him, and and you know, I want, I want my family uh, to be yielded and be in the will of God. And at that time, didn't have any children, but you know, we expected to have some, and I, I wanted my children to be yielded. But, uh, but, you know, the thought, the thought struck me. I have, not, I have not made that surrender because I didn't know that, you know, that that was something you need to do, that I had not committed myself. I had not made that surrender. And so uh, I did that that night, uh, just, like the, just like Saul did here. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just want to be in your will. Doing what you what you want. What we surrender, he'll take. And what he'll take, he cleanses. And what he cleanses, he feels. And what he feels, he uses. Would you say it? Would you pray it today? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold over my being, absolute sway. Fill with fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. Then let me give you a fourth mark of a man made new. Not only did he have a new Lord and see a new light and gain a new liberty, but he had a new love, a new love. <clears throat> Begin reading now in verse 19. When he had received me, he was strengthened. <clears throat> then was Paul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now look at that. With 
the disciples. That's the people he'd gone there to persecute, who'd gone to uh, put in bondage, or had gone to take them back uh, to be killed. But he is there with the disciples. Now let your mind go back to chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples, the Lord went unto the high priest. Now look, a, a few days ago, he's threatening them. He's breathing out slaughter. The word slaughter literally means murder. I mean, his heart is filled with bitterness toward those who are called Christians. And those he wants loathed, he now loves. He's with them. With them. The eyes, the, the scales fall from his eyes. The first sight he sees is the face of Ananias. The first words he hears are these. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. One kid one day asked me, he said, uh, why do you all call each other brother? Why do you all say Brother Smith or Brother Jones or whatever? I said, well, that's because we're in the same family. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Brother. I like that. You know, some people, they, oh, you know, that's, that's being kind of pious, you know, and all that and calling it. No, I like that. I like that. I like to be called brother as long as you don't put some bad name with it, you know, just brother so, you know. I mean, here we're talking about fellowship. You see, there's, there's some people who get the idea that you can get saved and you can be a Christian without loving the brotherhood, without loving the fellowship, without loving the saints of God, without loving the church. My friend, that's impossible. That's impossible. If you love Jesus, you're going to love what Jesus loves. You see, I look. I mean, we. I mean, to be reasonable. Be reasonable about it. When when you get saved, what happens to you when you get saved? You receive the Spirit of God. You read in uh, in First John, it says that God is love, and everyone that loveth is begotten of Him. God is love. How can I have God in me and not have love in me? You can't do it. God is love. If I say that I'm born again, if I'm a man made new, then the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. Feel with the Holy Ghost the love of God shed abroad in our, in our heart. No wonder, no wonder now Saul loves those that he once hated. You see, it's the nature of God. And the nature of the church also says you're going to love each other. It's the nature of the church. Because Christ is our head. We are the body. <clears throat> Whatever the head loves, the body is going to love. Now think, women. When the Apostle Paul was on that road and Jesus appeared to him, you know, you know what Jesus said to him? He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember that? You know what Paul Saul could have said? He said, I don't know who you are or whoever you are. I want you to know I haven't got anything against you. I'm persecuting the church. It's not you. It's these Christians I'm persecuting. But do you get the inference here? You see the lesson? When you persecute the church, you persecute Christ. Why? Because Christ is the head 
and the church is the body. When, when the body suffers, the head suffers. <clears throat> you know, uh, everything, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't explain all this kind of stuff, but, but uh, you know the pain, all, the pain that, that you experience, you know, it, it comes to the brain. The brain's what's, tell, what's telling you that, you know, that's pain. <clears throat> I, uh, I sometimes will, will have a, an allergy cough. I mean, you, you, you've experienced it with me sometimes. And, uh, and you know, I, over the years, I've, I've asked doctors, you know, what can I do to, uh, you know, because it's especially bad when I'm preaching because I guess, you know, the uh, strain on your voice and all in your throat and all that, then it, you know, brings, brings that on. And um, he, I said, you know, it's embarrassing. I get up and I start preaching. I start coughing. So I, I really I need something to help me. And so uh, he gave me a, a prescription for a cough medicine that has hydrocodone in it. Now, don't get excited. Uh, it's not strong enough that I'm going to get addicted to it. And, and, in fact, I only use it every once in a while. A little bottle like that will last me for six months. Um, but he told me, this is, here my point is that he told me, he said, the cough begins in the brain. So if you can numb the brain with the hydrocodone, that'll stop the cough. So you learned something tonight, didn't you? You don't ever know what you're going to get when you come to church, do you? And it's worth whatever you put in the offering plate. It's worth that and more. So, um, you persecute the Christian, you're persecuting the head, you're persecuting Christ. The head suffers. The church and Christ are not identical, but they are inseparable, like a head and a body. And you cannot love Jesus without loving what Jesus loved. And how important it is that we have this new love. This verse says that he was with the disciples and he was made strong. We, we need... We need one another. So that's what fellowship is all about. It's, it's that bonding together. We need one another. I've, I've often mentioned about the little uh, motto, I guess you'd call it, that <clears throat> I guess Brother Tony came up with it, Team Central. Team Central. We're a team. There's no one person. There's not even, even any half a dozen people here that can do all that the Lord expects of us as a church. It takes all of us working together. <clears throat> One year we were, um, Janice and I went out to a Bible conference out in Oregon, and um, it, it was pretty close to the California, Northern California line. <clears throat> and so we was talking with somebody there, and, and they said, have you... Uh, have you seen the, the great uh, redwoods? I think the official name of them is Sequoia, isn't it? <clears throat> um, so, no, but we, you know, we'd like to have always, you know, I've always seen pictures, you know, and all and heard about them, and, and yeah, I'd like to go. And they said, well, it's not that far. If you want to go, it's northern, the only place in the world those things grow is in northern California. Do you know that? Something else you learned tonight, see? And, and those things are big. So 
I rented a car and we went, we drove down and um, we stopped at a restaurant there to eat breakfast. And the waitress, way out there in Oregon, she is from Tampa, Florida. <laughs> she, she had married a guy that was in the, in the military and, um, and he was from there. So she moved out there with him out in Oregon and, and then he got sent off and I don't, I don't know which war it was, Vietnam or one of those, and he got killed. So she was stuck out there. And she said, I'm trying to raise enough money that I can get back home. She said, I don't like it out here, but I, ha I, haven't, I don't have enough money yet that I can get back home. <clears throat> but we talked with her, and she said, um, it's, all, it's just a little ways down here, and you'll find there the, the gateway, the entrance to uh, a park there where she said it's about 11, 12 miles in that loop, and, and you go in there, and that's a, a redwood forest there. And uh, so we did. And, uh, and some of those, it's just hard to imagine how big those trees are. And we took, uh, I took a picture of Janice standing by one of them. She looks like that, standing next to that tree. Just huge, huge things. Well, I found out something about, about those, uh, those kind of trees, those giant uh, sequoias or, or, or redwoods. Some are as tall as a 20-story building. And I mean with a 70-foot circumference. Giant, giant trees. <clears throat> we were told that, that uh, those, many of those trees have been growing since the time of Christ. You'd think a tree that big would have a tremendously deep tap root that would go down and down and down to keep it standing so tall and so long. But you know what they said, what they told? Those trees don't have deep tap roots at all. Those, those trees, the roots of those trees grow very close to the surface. And experts say the reason they have survived, the reason they've grown so tall for so long, is that they grow, they grow only in groves or in groups, you know, in, in bunches. And their roots all intertwine with the others. And when the winds come... They hold one another together. Would you, would you want to be a giant for God? You do so in the fellowship of the church where we are intertwined. Where we love one another and care for one another. And the Bible says they received this man and he was strengthened. He had a new love. When you love Jesus, you're going to love the church. The church that the Apostle Paul once persecuted, he now fellowship with. And I'm very hurtly, and I'll give you the last one. Um, he had a new labor. Look at verse 20. A straight way. That means immediately he preached Christ in the synagogue, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he which destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. But Paul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. Now, what, what had been his labor before? What was his goal in life? It was to destroy the church. To destroy the church. What, what is his labor now? To build the church. What had been his labor before? It was to minimize Christ. 
But what's he doing now? Maximizing Christ. Friend, the mark of a man made new is this, that he wants others to know about his Savior. He's an evangelist. He's a soul winner. I can give you a personal testimony when, when as a young man and, and I got saved, I had, a, I had immediately in my heart a desire that others would know the Jesus that I had come to know. I wanted my dad to know Jesus. I wanted the men that I work with to know Jesus. And from that time to this, there's been a burning desire in my heart that others would come to know the Jesus that I know. You've heard me tell about, uh, I hadn't been saved but just a few weeks, I think like three weeks, something like that, when they asked me to teach a Sunday school class. And the class was a class of 15-year-old boys. And after two or three weeks, and there was a, there was a, a boy that, that was coming with another friend, a friend of his that was in the class, and, uh, and this boy was bringing him with him, and this, this boy was uh, from a Roman Catholic family. He'd been raised in a Roman Catholic church. <laughs> and, um, and so once after two or three weeks, uh, I, I was teaching then on the new birth. <clears throat> and, uh, so, you know, I was telling the class, Jesus said, in order to go to heaven, you must be born again, must be born again. And so when the class was over, he, he, uh, he stayed behind, and he said, uh, he said, he said, um, Brother Wiggins, or I, I don't know, he might have called me teacher, what it was. He said, uh, <clears throat> you know, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that in order to go to heaven, you have to be born again. I don't know what that means. Can you, can you explain that to me? Can you, because he said, I want to go to heaven when I die. And so we sat down on the steps of two-story house over here. We were upstairs. We sat down on the steps of that house, and, and I led him to the Lord. And I got, when I got up, and, and boy, I mean, you know, he, you, you, right away you could tell that he had, he had really got saved. I mean, it, just, it was all over him. And, um, and whenever he had walked away, I said to that right then, I said, Lord, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I want to tell people about this Jesus that I know. I had no idea the Lord was going to call me to be a preacher. <clears throat> but um, preaching Christ and proving that Christ is the Son of God is the mark of a man made new, the mark of a new life in Christ that we want to share Jesus. How about you? Why don't you? I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but why don't you right now make a commitment to the Lord that you're going to make every effort this year to win at least one soul to Christ. We ought to, we ought to be committed to, to win several, but, but at least one. It's a good place to start, to win one soul to Christ. Would you stand, please, with your heads bowed and eyes closed? <clears throat>